The History of College Football is a podcast dedicated to preserving the college football gridiron memories from years gone by. Please feel free to visit our website at historyofcollegefootball.com. Thank you. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson, and I will take you down a gridiron memory lane. The national champions, the teams, the rivalries, the conferences, the Heisman winners, the rankings. Today, we are lucky to have a very special guest, Mr. Eric Henry, co-managing editor of the Underdog Dynasty, FIU beat writer, Conference USA podcast host, and a member of the Football Writers Association of America, SB Nation, and a Blitnikoff Award voter. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. That's at E-R-I-C-C-H-E-N-R-Y underscore. It is indeed an honor to have you on my podcast, Eric. If you will, first, tell me about your work as the co-managing editor of the Underdog Dynasty. Yeah, Jay. Well, first off, let me say thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. I had a chance to check out the podcast, discovered your podcast and what you have going on through your uh, most recent edition covering the history of FIU. And again, you did a really good job there with that. I mean, it's a, a program's only been around about 20 years. So it's, it, it's always a nice trip down memory lane to get those, you know, that kind of perspective. So uh, thank you, sir. Pleasure to be on. And, and yeah, I mean, as far as the work with Underdog Dynasty, it is uh, a sister site under SB Nation. That is our, our parent company. And, you know, we essentially are uh, SB Nation's home for Group of Five football coverage, whether that's Conference USA, the American, the Sunbelt Independence, and FCS. So uh, it's been a great gig. You know, got promoted to co-managing editor about three seasons ago. So I handle some of those duties in addition to covering FIU, which is the, the full-time uh, bulk of my work. So it's, it's been a fun gig. Phenomenal. You're also an FIU beat writer. Now tell me about your work as an FIU beat writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I mentioned, you know, in addition to the, the managing editor um, responsibilities, I've been covering FIU since the 2018 season. And again, it has been a really interesting ride, Jay. And again, I've, you know, I'm assuming people who, who listen to this podcast will have heard your, your history of FIU because this program does have a really unique history. And I know we're going to cover some of that, so I won't go too deep into it, but I've had a chance to cover what's been arguably the highest high in their program record in wins in 2018. I've covered, when again, you're going to talk about the biggest victory. I've covered that, the victory over Miami. And I've covered what has now been uh, one in 17 in their last 18 games. They have not beaten an FCS, excuse me, they haven't beaten an FBS opponent uh, since that win over Miami. So you can say I've covered the gamut, Jay. <laughs> the highest high and what might be, you know, not quite the lowest low, but a very um, tough period for the program as they rebuild under Mike McIntyre. I'm excited to hear what you had to say. I enjoyed researching the FIU football history. Quite unique. Absolutely. Now you, absolutely. You're also a member of the Football Writers Association of America and the Blitnikoff Award voter. Tell me, what is it like uh, for you to vote for the Blitnikoff Award? What criteria are you going to weigh? 
Yeah, yeah. I actually just, you know, bestowed that honor. And I really appreciate the folks at the Belitnikoff Award up in Tallahassee for you know, reaching out and sending an invitation. And really for me, Jay, as someone who covers Conference USA and primarily Group of Five football, I, I try to make an effort. You know, usually I'm leaving the press box. If it's a night game, I'm leaving around 11-ish. You know, the first thing I do when I get back to whether it's the hotel on the road or, or my home is I'm flipping on that late game. You know, I'm always watching the West Coast game because I, I got a couple hours, you know, I may check out my alma mater, UCF, see what they did. But I always try to digest as much football as possible outside of FIU. And I think having a, a unique perspective covering the entire league uh, for SB Nation at least gives me a chance, Jay, to, to see a lot of the group of five receivers. So I feel as if I'll have an edge in that regard. And then, you know, Sundays, always got to check the box score, see who did what, and then Thanks to this, this great advent called, you know, YouTube and everything that's there, you can pretty much get the, you know, the condensed games of a lot of the bigger programs uh, on Sundays and Mondays. So I'll take a chance to watch those through the weekend and see which receivers stand out. Oh, great, great. What, what do you perceive to be your biggest challenge when voting for the Blitnikoff Award? In my opinion, and I think you can say this for any award. It's just going to be trying to cover the gamut of, of players, you know? I mean, you look at the Heisman, for example, and yeah, at the end of the day, that tends to get boiled down by about what, you know, November, December to four or five people. But when talking about these, these awards, and, and yes, you'll have the same thing with the Blitnikoff and Davey O'Brien, you'll have the watch list, and that'll get shrunk as well. But you're really trying to consume as much football as possible. So I think just making sure you're considering a lot of those players who may not get attention. Again, that's where I say, you know, for me, as someone who covers the group of five leagues, I think I have, I don't want to say an advantage, but it, I, I hope this isn't disrespectful to, you know, the national writers who, who may cover, you know, the power fives. It's a lot easier to find the USC game or the Alabama game than it is to find the Louisiana Lafayette, you know, or FIU. So I think I do have an advantage in that regard. I can see that. I can see that. How difficult do you perceive will be awarding the Blitnikoff Award this year? I mean, I know it's still really during spring practice that we're talking, but still. Oh, I mean, there are a lot of great contenders. And again, I think, you know, you look at the, the receiver from Pitt who just transferred to USC, Jordan Addison. I mean, he's a guy who you think is going to be right there in the mix. But then I even look at, you know, some of the top returners from the group of five leagues. I'll give a shout out to an FIU Panther and Tyrese Chambers. I know we'll talk about him in a minute because he broke T.Y. Hilton's records, uh, program records for receiving yards and receiving touchdowns in a year. He's a kid who had, you know, a thousand something yards on 40 grabs, right? So he could be in the mix. So I just think, again, it's just going to be the, the challenge of, you know, really kind of making sure you cover the, the range of players who are in it. And, and also, I, I think, and I, I don't think I'm breaking news when I say this, you know, kind of keeping your own personal biases out of it and making sure you're objective to all the players involved. Oh, that, that, that makes perfect sense to me. So, so let's switch and talk a little bit about FIU football. Uh, how do you foresee the state of FIU football today? Yeah, yeah, Jay. As, as I mentioned, it's a really unique place for the program. I will try to keep this answer brief. I'll try not to go too long. But again, you know, 20, from 2017 to 2019, they qualify for three straight bowl games. First time in program history. You get uh, a coach like Butch Davis who – Anyone who knows college football has got the history in Miami. It looks like a perfect fit. It should have been a marriage made in heaven, to, to be honest. And, and for a myriad of reasons that Butch went into, especially this past year, it did not work out, right? But again, the past 18 games, they're 1-17. They have not won 
uh, for your listeners who may not know, when I say FBS, that's the old D1 versus, you know, 1AA. FCS is considered 1AA, FBS is considered D1. They have not beaten a, a FBS opponent since November 24th, 2019. They haven't won a road game since October of 2018. So it's been a long, really um, two and a half seasons. I mean, you can even look at, at the 2019 team, Jay. I'll give you two fun facts, and you can make of this what you want. In 2019, the team had an NFL quarterback, James Morgan, drafted by the New York Jets in the fourth round, an NFL cornerback, Stanley Thomas Oliver III, drafted by Carolina Panthers, a kid who went undrafted, who's now a starter, is going to be in line to get a nice payday in Tennessee and T.R. Tart, defensive tackle, and a handful of other players who went to, G- went to NFL camps. At this level, if you have three guys in the NFL and other guys getting in camps, you shouldn't be six and seven, especially with an NFL quarterback. That was bewildering. You, you, you bring it in the second side, I'll give you, as you look at this year, the team, just to kind of show you that it's not a talent thing. It just was a confluence of a myriad of, of factors. The team gave up 44 sacks last year. That was second to last in Conference USA. Just for the average football fan, they're going to think, okay, you give up that many sacks, the offensive line isn't good. But then what do you make of it when I tell you that three of the offensive linemen are playing the Power Five next year? You got one in LSU, one at Purdue, and one in Colorado State. It's just been a strange, <laughs> a very strange last two and a half years for the Panthers, especially considering the success they had in 17 and 18. Oh, well, well, considering that, how do you foresee this upcoming season for the FIU Panthers? In my opinion, it has to be considered a rebuilding year. I mean, anyone you get one in 17, your last 18, you're not just going to flip that around and win 12 games, right? So with the departure of Butch Davis, they've brought in Mike McIntyre, the former San Jose State Colorado head coach, recently was with Memphis as a defensive coordinator. And Jay, he has a, a history of, you know, doing the rebuilding thing. You know, he, he took over San Jose State where they had APR penalties, you know, reduction in scholarships, kind of similar to what he's facing at FIU and was able to turn that thing around in two seasons to where that third year they won 10 games. Did the same thing at Colorado. And you see that's really been a struggle up there in, in, in that, that region of the, of the country. So to bring it, you know, to this year, in my mind, I think a reasonable expectation for this team is four or five wins tops, anything more than that. If they get to six and they qualify for a bowl, that is great. Um, and can you, I guess I'll give a, a few specific details in terms of the specific, the, um, excuse me, the current roster. It's not that they're lacking talent, Jay. It's that in this era of college football with the transfer portal, they've been affected heavily. Uh, if you look at the recruiting classes from 2018 and 2019, both of those recruiting classes, due to COVID, you know, players were granted an extra year. So you have guys even from the 2017 recruiting class who are still in college football, right? You know, those sixth, seventh year guys. But from 2018 and 2019, guys who would be redshirt juniors, seniors, redshirt seniors this year, of the 48 players that would qualify, there are only 11 that are on the roster. Hmm. So that means you have a really young team. This team is loaded with underclassmen freshmen, redshirt freshmen, sophomores. And where that gets tricky, Jay, is as I mentioned, they're one in 17 in the last 18 games. You have players that if you signed in the class of 2020 or 2021, and that's more than half of the roster, they haven't been a part of a win over a D1 team. So it's a matter of, A, them discovering, can they play at this level, learning how to win, 
and how to handle that, right? So it's step-by-step. Step, and I think with Mike McIntyre, again, he's, he's doing the right things. He's prioritizing the young talent. He's, he's brought in a, a very, very sizable coaching staff, a very experienced coaching staff. And that's been a change from previous years at FIU. So uh, I, I think that's my long-winded way of saying, you know, the future is bright, but it, it's going to be a work in progress for a myriad of reasons. A phenomenal detailed answer. But let's go back to 2019. I understand you covered the game on November 23rd, 2019, FIU 30, Miami of Florida 24. Can you take me through how you see how that game played out? <laughs> uh, again, that was probably one of the more surreal days. I mean, you're talking mm -hmm. about a team, Jay, get to give you and your, your listeners some background on that team. As I mentioned, highly talented, should have won more than six games. But two weeks prior, they had just gotten blown out by 31 points, I believe, to Florida Atlantic. Um, they, I think the previous win they had was they squeaked out a five, six point win over Old Dominion, uh, an old EU team that won one game that year. So heading into that game, they were 20, I want to say 24 point underdog, if memory serves me correct. And everything about that game was surreal. Jay, again, as you mentioned, play at the old Orange Bowl. That was a home game. I said that in air quotes. That was the final home game for FIU that year. Um, probably the most surreal moment of that game for me was as FIU was introduced, and of course, being the home team, they came out last. Miami came out through the legendary smoke and all the pomp and circumstance that comes with you know the hurricane entrance. And they say, all right, introducing last, the FIU Panthers, and they get the home introduction, and it is a cascade of boos. Now, just, just try, try that on for size for a second. Not only are you the home team, for your listeners who don't know, the majority of this roster are kids from Miami. <laughs> so they're kids, their hometown. Right. If they're getting booed, a lot of them grew up wanting to be Hurricanes. I think that was just the perfect storm, Jay, of just motivating these guys that, for whatever reason, that they couldn't put together a consistent season of, of you know, solid play. They managed to have that perfect storm and they did it all that night. And it, it, it was, they played the perfect game. I mean, from start to finish, they really dominated. Uh, and even though the, the final score, I think was 30 to 24, they were up two scores in the fourth quarter. And in, in the post-game locker room, or excuse me, the post-game press conference, you just saw, especially the Miami kids, especially the, the you know, those, those Miami natives, how much it, this meant to them to beat that team that they grew up wanting to play for the booze getting rained down on and what uh, is that's their senior night, right? Like that's the last game air quotes home. Um, it just meant so much of that. So that was definitely a surreal atmosphere. And, 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 you know, Jay, I, it's a game that I, I really wish FIU and Miami could find a way to play more often because even just in terms of the college football landscape in South Florida, you know, it, it gets a bad rap for being fair weather fans and all those things, but there was nothing, and this is no shade to the Miami Marlins, the MLB team that plays at that park now, but there was nothing like driving through that area of Miami where the old Orange Bowl was. The first time the Hurricanes played there since that game, that stadium was, uh, um, since they moved to, to uh, the Dolphin Stadium up in Fort Lauderdale, the fans were out. It was just an atmosphere. It was a great cultural atmosphere, and I hope FIU and Miami can find a way to, to play that game. Uh, I mean, if not a yearly basis, you know, a semi-annual basis, because it was it was just a great comfortable atmosphere. What a fantastic experience that must have been. I remember seeing the score scroll across the bottom of the TV. I immediately went to Google to find out what happened. 
So, Eric, are you game for a few fun questions? Just purely fun. Absolutely, man. What you got? Uh, we'll start with FIU. What was the best team in FIU's history? In, in my opinion, and again, I'm biased because I covered this team, I would say the 2018 team. Now, you may have some diehard FIU fans who may go back to the team. I want to say it was 2011 or 2012 and T.Y. Hilton, they, they, um, they played in the Little Caesars Bowl. Uh, but no, I, I think, I mean, of course, A, they have the program record for wins in a year, which is nine. And just in terms of overall talent, I, I think that 2018 team can't be beat. Who is your favorite player in FIU's football history? I, I'm going to take a cop out and give you two answers, right? So one of my favorite players that I personally have covered uh, was James Morgan. You know, mm. It was a pleasure to really cover him as a quarterback, you know, a ton of insight, great guy. But as someone who's a born and raised Floridian, I'm, you know, 30 years old, so I'm in high school around the time that FIU program is coming up. T.Y. Hilton put them on the map. I mean, that was, you know, just yes. to see this, this guy from that Florida International, what, who was putting up 1,000-yard seasons and, you know, you couldn't help but love T.Y. Hilton. What is your most memorable play in FIU history? That is a great question, even as – you know, to bring your audience in, you send me these questions ahead of time. And I was jogging my brain as, as to what could, you know, kind of come up. And in my opinion, this is, again, I'm biased because this is when I was covering the team, but I, I don't think anything can beat the Anthony Jones run at the end of that Miami game that really sealed the deal. You know, Miami started to put together a little rush and they, you know, I, I know for Panther fans, it was like sitting on the edge of their seat, right? Because it's like, man, wait a minute. Are, are we really going to beat them? Like, this team hasn't been that good all year. We're, we're really going to beat them? And how deeply personal it is for FIU fans to beat Miami. And then once he had that run and went in the end zone and he broke four tackles, and it was something like a 28-yard TD run. It wasn't long. But it just was the, the play that sealed the fact that you were going to beat Miami. Uh, to me, I, I think FIU fans could watch that a million times over. Oh, I could see that. What was the greatest game in FIU's football history? Again, I, 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 I know I keep repeating the Miami game. If mm -hmm. you ask FIU fans, they will tell you that. So I'll give you a secondary answer. I think the Bahamas Bowl was a great game. Mm. You know, I think for, for that team to cap off that season the way they did, and I mentioned James Morgan, again, an NFL quarterback, and it was now with Indianapolis, but he actually got banged up in practice, Jay, heading leading up to that bowl game um i'm trying to remember so quick was it practice or was it the end of the marshall game the, the, the last game of the year but nevertheless he ends up you find out or we found out about 48 hours prior to kickoff your all-conference quarterback isn't starting and you got to go to a backup and christian alexander who didn't see much time all year i mean he saw a handful of snaps when the quarterback competition was open i want to say you know those three weeks into the season jay but he hadn't seen significant playing time since then. And the fact that you go in, eight wins, a chance to set the program record for wins in a year, to really cap that season off the way that you would have wanted to, and you get the backup quarterback who comes in and did it. And Christian played phenomenal. I mean, the game of his life, in my mind. You know, if you don't want to say the Miami game, I think the Bahamas Bowl is pretty memorable. Your wealth of knowledge, Mr. Henry. Let's move on to the history of college football. If you could have been doing the play-by-play -play for any one game in the history of college football, what game would you have chosen it to be? 
the FIU fans are probably gonna get a lot of upset for me for this, but I'm gonna choose, and what was that? The 2002 national championship between Miami and Ohio State. Hmm. I, I remember being, you know, oh, gosh, I'm 11 at the time. And my, you know, I have family members who are each Miami fans and they're celebrating thinking, all right, we won back-to-back national championships and how late that flag came out. <laughs> that's definitely one. And, I, and I'll give a, a quick, you know, a, just a, as a side, one other one, uh, the Reggie Bush game, the, the game oh, yeah. against Notre Dame, you know, and gets a little push in the back <laughs> and gets that first down, you know, or, or that t- the touchdown, I should say, um, definitely memorable as well. Who's your favorite player in the history of college football? If you asked me this question before I went to my alma mater, uh, UCF, I would have said Peter Warwick. Peter Warwick, you know, Florida State receiver, was an electric. I mean, you can, you can put him in that Reggie Bush category before Reggie Bush in terms of he could take a two-yard screen and go 80 yards. Um, but I, I, I will say this. I think and I'm going to give a shot to UCF. Mackenzie Milton was really a special player to watch before the injury. I mean, I, 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 I know it's recent and, you know, his career for all intents and purposes, it's, it's pretty much done, but the way he was before that injury was just magical. So uh, I'm going to say Mackenzie Milton. What's your most memorable play in the history of college football? Again, this is just my personal answer. It may be obscure for some, but I think it holds a significant memory for me because I watched it live. Don't ask me to recall the year, Jay, but do you remember the Duke Miami game at Wallace Wade stadium, the laterals, the 19 oh. laterals and, and, and yes. Duke. And, and I think if memory serves me correct, I can't remember which coach had just gotten fired, but it was like the first or second game under um, the interim coach. Right. And yes. I, I, I think that win kept him in bowl contention Again, sorry to the FIU fans who will hear this, but just as a play, that was incredible. You know, so yeah, that 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 was a hell of a play. <laughs> I tweeted out about that play and got all sorts of replies on that one. What was the greatest? <laughs> what was the greatest game in college football history, Mr. Henry? I am going to go Texas USC. Mm. That's the the Vince Young, and I'm I'm gonna I'm blanking on what year that was, but. I want to say 2006, if memory serves me correct. But, I mean, what a game. Back and forth, back and forth. And people have to remember, I'm sure most of your listeners do, but anyone who does it, just how dominant SC was. I mean, that was the next dominant program after, you know, Miami's run. Um, Reggie Bush, Matt Liner, you know, Mike Williams, Dwayne, the list goes on, just guys they had. And the fact that, you know, Texas was able to upset them, uh, that's a that's – a, pretty special game my son dig and i have this running argument he maintains that's the greatest game he's ever seen the greatest game ever played and i always went back to the boise state oklahoma game it's an ongoing sure. <laughs> ongoing argument we have you just made my son very happy good sir what was the greatest season in college football history this is is tough you know it's short-sighted again i'm i'm 30 so there are people with longer recollections of college football than me but if you're asking me, in my opinion, what I think was the greatest season in college football history, I, I'm inclined to go with the 2007 season. And the mm. reason for that is there was so much chaos. If you remember, that was the year that South Florida, you know, and the arch rival of my alma mater, but they ended up ranked number two. And I, it, I actually saw this, um, I want to say it was a couple of days ago I saw this, Jay. That if you look at the top 10 teams from 
that week that saw USF rank second. I think you had like Ole Miss in there. You had Oklahoma State. You had Mississippi State. That, I, I don't want to say it's what's missing because, I mean, in theory, that can happen, right? But you almost feel, uh, and I don't want to go on a rant about the BCS versus the college football playoff, but I kind of miss the days when it felt like you had a little more than just two SEC teams, whichever team wins the Big Ten, and, you know, another team that, 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 that's going to come in there and, and fight for that playoff. What I loved most about that year was just seeing different teams come in and rise to the occasion and, and get in the top 10. It, it, I love parity. I love variety. And, and that was, was really special and stands out to me. Great perspective. Biggest upset. Appalachian state over Michigan. Mm. Easy. That, again, I watched that one live. <laughs> I was sitting, I, I'm gosh, again, I think I'm still in high school at the time. Armonte Edwards. I mean, you can't, if you're a college ball fan, you can't not know that name <laughs> going in there. And the shock looked on the fans of the Michigan teams, uh, the, the Michigan fans. Incredible. Uh, greatest team. Uh, at the risk, again, of, of upsetting uh, the, the FIU faithful. Um, I, I, <laughs> I don't think you can say anything other than the 2001 Miami Hurricanes, just because of the sheer amount of NFL talent uh, on that roster. And I know some people will say, you know, some of the Alabama teams of, of recent years are really good. Um, I, I will give a shout out. I don't, I'll put you this way. Miami had the greatest collection of talent. So if you don't want to say it's the greatest team, I get it. If, if, you, if you want to make that argument, I'll give you one more, Jay. That team that Cam Newton led to yeah. the national championship, you go back and look at it. I think they had one other player who made it to the NFL. But just that ride, that run that they, they went on to win the national championship was just, that was a great team as well. So I know I'll give you two answers. Hopefully I pacified the FIU fans who, who were here <laughs> about giving that backup answer. But, um, you know, Miami was really dominant in, in 2001-2002. Great answer. Well, I want to thank you, Mr. Eric Henry. You've been a phenomenal guest. You can follow Eric Henry at Twitter. His handle is at Eric C. Henry underscore. That's at E-R-I-C-C-H-E-N-R-Y underscore. Follow this man. Thank you for listening to History of College Football. I am Jay Abramson. Join us every Tuesday and Saturday for a new episode.